Good morning, Crosspoint family. Happy Resurrection Day. We're so excited to see you with us together in our online service. Uh, we've got a great time set out for us to worship together, to celebrate together, to declare together that He is risen, and we can have hope because of that. I uh, hope you've enjoyed our playlist this morning for worship on Spotify. If you didn't get a chance to check it out before this video, uh, be sure to turn it on afterwards and enjoy worshiping together as a family. Let's hear from some of our Crosspoint family this morning. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is the reason that I can always have hope. Jesus, Jesus, are my Savior. Happy Easter, everyone, or Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our Savior. He has risen. He, he has risen in me. Um, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth and the life. Jesus is my Redeemer. He is risen. Jesus is our... Savior. Sanctifier. Healer. Coming King. He is risen! He is risen indeed! Woo! He, he is risen! risen. Yay! He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed! He is risen indeed! Would you join us in reading from Psalms 126, A Song of Ascent, and then we'll have a time of prayer afterwards reflecting on the verses. When the, the Lord, Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Thank you for this Resurrection Sunday. Thank you, Lord, that you have turned our mourning into laughter. Thank you for all the great things you have done for us. Thank you that Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed, and we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Each time we gather together as a church family, we like to remember the fact that God has called all of us to be a part of advancing his kingdom and the gospel reach across the nation, across the neighborhood, across the world. Uh, and today for our missions moment, I just wanted to remind you all that our Alliance Missions family is still in need of our prayers and our support during these days. Uh, they are scattered across all of the nations of the world. And as this pandemic is affecting different countries and different places, uh, they are able to continue to show the love of God to their neighbors, to those communities and ministering to people that are grieving and hurting right now and telling them about the hope that we can have because of the res resurrected Christ. 
Um, they still need our support. Uh, the Great Commission Fund is primarily how our Alliance family supports those international workers and enables them to stay on the field. Uh, we have a link to be able to give to that fund uh, through our website, through our online giving. Uh, and we encourage you during these days to consider supporting them a little bit extra if you've got some extra right now to be able to continue to advance the kingdom across the many nations of the world. And then for our local community, we want to spotlight again our Hope Street Food Pantry. Uh, we love partnering with Hope Church and what they are doing to meet the needs of vulnerable people in our neighborhoods and community locally. Uh, they are asking for continued donations of food, but more importantly, um, of funds so that they can be able to get the supplies to be able to meet the needs of people uh, in our area as this trial continues and as people are out of work. Uh, they're seeing an increase of families coming in each week and we want to be able to continue to partner well as they are ministering from six feet apart in a tangible way and meeting the need of our community. And there's a link to that as well in our online giving. Thanks. Morning, Crosspoint. My name is Carlos Vasquez. Today I'm here to talk to you about the tithes and offerings. Before I do that, I just want to remind that there's multiple ways to give. You can give through our website or through our Church Center app. Okay. I also want to remind you and encourage you to give to our benevolence funds. These funds are going to be utilized to benefit members of our community that have been impacted by the current situation that we're facing. Okay. Now, let us pray for our tithes and offerings. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you, Father, for giving us our daily bread, giving us our provision, Father. Father, you love a joyful giver, Father. We want, to, we want these funds, Father, to be utilized to glorify your name and your kingdom, Father. Bless these funds, Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, Crosspoint. We miss all of you. Good morning, Crosspoint. I want to say happy Easter to everybody, and I love you guys, and I miss you guys very, very much. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get started with our announcements for this week. Um, if you're joining us today as a family, don't forget to check out our video from Crosspoint Kids for more activities to do as a family to connect with God together this week. For our second announcement, I wanted to remind everyone that we're still doing the Hope Communities. Um, they're meeting online each week. If you aren't a part of one yet, this will be a great opportunity to grow together, support each other, and love our neighbors during these days. Let us know if we can help you get connected with the group. For our final announcement, Crosspoint family, this week be watching your emails for a Love Your Neighbors challenge coming out soon. We are asking together for God to move in hearts across our our city and neighborhoods in this season. So we're so excited to um, have you guys join us this morning. And I hope you enjoy the announcements as well as the rest of the service. Um, thank you guys for tuning in. I miss you guys very, very much. And I hope to see you all soon. And happy Easter. Good morning. As you know, it's Resurrection Sunday. 
And here we are, we've come to the portion of the message. And uh, as we approach the Word of God, we want to come with our eyes and ears open so we can see and hear what God has to reveal to us today. So let me take a moment to open us up in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to celebrate the resurrection. And as we come to the scriptures today, we pray that our eyes would be opened, that our hearts would be opened, that our ears would be opened, that we might see and hear and understand what you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Leading up to Easter, we've been doing this series called A Meal with Jesus. And as we think about the uh, hilarity of that conversation and social isolation, uh, social distancing, physical distancing, it can be an interesting topic to approach. And yet, it's a valuable one. Because eating together is one of the things that makes us a society. And as you've probably noticed over the last few weeks, the longer we stay away from each other, the more valuable that reality becomes to us. And so here we are on Easter Sunday. Uh, we're not at the end of our series, but we are a few, a couple sermons away from that, a couple messages away from that. Uh, the premise for this series is that Jesus, who called himself the Son of Man, this was a term of authority that he used, uh, said some things about himself in the Gospels about how he came, tells us that he came from heaven. It tells us that he came to seek and save those that are lost and to be a ransom for many. It tells us that he came to serve and not be served. But it also tells us here in Luke that he had a method, not just the purpose that he came for, but a method he came in, and that was to eat and drink tells us that he came eating and drinking to the point that his critics called him a glutton and a drunkard. This wasn't the case, but they were looking for issue with him, and this is one of the places they found it. The author of Luke, the author Luke often talks about breaking bread when he talks about eating and drinking, and so that's a common theme here. A lot of Luke is the, the gospel with the most meals represented in it. And as we understand this, why do we eat? Why do we have meals? Well, a lot of times we think about nourishment. We think about diet. We think about what we eat and why we eat. But eating is also about that breaking of bread, that bread together. In fact, the word companionship means bread together. And as we think about having meals together, one of the main reasons we have meals together is to get to know one another better, to share life, to share moments. And sometimes the best moments are around food. As we look at the passage that we're coming to today, there's some things I want you to understand about the importance of meals in the ancient world. There are very few inns in the ancient world or hotels or motels or any place like that where you could stay and so people stayed with families. They stayed with get, as guests in homes. And so hospitality was a big part of that ancient Jewish culture. And uh, 
it was common and expected for people to invite strangers they met along the road into their homes for a meal, for a place to stay, because it wasn't safe to be out after dark. Another important thing about the ancient world that we have to remember is that in Palestine, in, in Israel, on Saturdays it was the Sabbath, so everything shut down. This means everything would have to pause, including travel, including burials. And uh, so there wasn't, everything would have had to pause between Friday night when Jesus was buried and Sunday morning, uh, including funeral preparations. So let us uh, come to the text. We're in Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 1, and I'm going to read it to you. Feel free to open up your Bibles and join me. This is from the New Living Translation. Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his eleven disciples and anyone, everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story, sounds, the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. As we uh, look at the beginning of this passage, it's important for us to understand that in America, our perspective on death is very different than it was in the ancient world. In fact, it is in most of the world. We have been, for lack of a better word, demoralized when it comes to death. There's so many movies where death just happens. People are killed. Uh, and we become, we've become calloused, uh, not just because of movies, but our whole perspective towards death. Uh, we tend to avoid it. We don't talk about it. We don't grieve it well. Uh, it seemed as not quite commonplace, but not as important. And so we've, we've basically just stepped away from death in a big way. But a lot of times there are people that are also enamored with death. And so you have this dichotomy between a, an avoidance of death and an enamorment of death. But here, Peter is told that he is looking for Jesus, or these women are told that they're looking for Jesus among the dead. Jesus had already risen. He had been dead. He had died on the cross three days before on Friday. And they were coming to prepare his body with spices so that he would decompose properly. But he wasn't there. As promised, he had risen from the dead. They were shocked by the angel's announcements. 
but they were looking for him among the dead. Peter comes back and, and we're told in other gospels that John comes with him and they too look for Jesus among the dead. But he's not there. All that's left are his linens, the things, his burial clothes, what they wrapped him in. And Jesus is gone. They didn't understand that what Jesus had predicted had happened. They, but they didn't go looking for the risen Christ. They went back and waited, probably unsure of what to do next. Jesus had told them to go to Galilee, and yet here they were in Jerusalem, waiting. They weren't looking for the risen Christ. As we continue on with this passage, it tells us that that same day, two of Jesus' followers, who were not among the eleven, were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus. The man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By the time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him, Stay the night with us, since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. As we continue on in the text, we see that Jesus, in leaving the grave, he showed up on the road to Emmaus. These two travelers that were followers of Jesus, if you read the text clearly, it seems that they were probably husband and wife. This is the most natural reading of the text. They are followers of disciple of Jesus, but obviously not in the inner circle. They were probably headed home from the Passover feast, as it was expected that all Jewish people would be in Jerusalem for the Passover. But they had been there. They had followed Jesus. They had witnessed his teachings. They knew that he was the Messiah. And they had hoped that that was the case, but they had their doubts. 
They were headed to the small town of Emmaus where they lived. Luke's tells us it was seven miles or, or uh, 60 stadia, uh, whatever that is. But it's a little uncertain exactly where the town of Emmaus that Luke talks about was. Uh, archaeologists figure it must have been anywhere from three and a half miles away to 20 miles distance. Um, or it the ruins haven't been found yet. We're not sure. But as they're on this journey and they're talking about these things, Jesus asked this simple question, what are you talking about? What is the conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And their response is, don't you know what's been going on? Don't you know about this Jesus that was crucified, that we had hoped was the Messiah? That our religious leaders who should have known crucified? Who is this Jesus? Is he not the one we'd hoped for? They were hoping that he would be the one to save them from their trouble with the Romans. The Romans were brutal. They weren't just an occupying force, but they were cruel to the Israelite people in a lot of ways. And uh, they were hoping to get rid of them so they could practice their religion, their Jewish religion and their Jewish lifestyle and culture in peace. They had hoped Jesus would be the one to set them free. But Jesus made it pretty clear while he was on earth that was not the kingdom that he was bringing to them. It wasn't a natural kingdom. It was a supernatural kingdom. We all live in the tension, like these two travelers, between Good Friday and Easter. But Jesus, he comes to them and he holds space for them. He allows them to share what they'd hoped for. He allows them to share their pain, their disappointment, their story, and he listens. Many people are living in their own version of the Emmaus Road. More on that in a few minutes. The travelers take the bait of Jesus' question, and their response shows both the depth of their faith in Jesus and the painful inadequacy of their understanding. The tension is building here as Luke retells their story. But the recognition of Jesus eludes them. So Jesus tells them about himself. He's not condemning them. Just as they were shocked with Jesus that he didn't know what had been going on, Jesus acts in shock towards them that they didn't understand who he was. So he tells them. He starts with Moses and not the person of Moses, but the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And he talks to them about the prophets, the rest of the books. He probably told them about Adam and Eve and the serpent and how he was promised at the fall. He talked to them about Abraham and the covenant God made with him and how God visited Abraham. He talked about Moses and the Israelites in the desert and how they were delivered from slavery. How they were healed as they looked upon the serpent up on the rod. How they were promised that a prophet like Moses would come to them in Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 18. He may have talked about Joshua and Judges, about David, about the Psalms and where he was found there, about the prophets 
especially Isaiah chapter 9, 11, and 53. That last one in particular talks about the suffering servant and who Jesus is. We note that a frequent theme from Luke is that scripture rightly interpreted always points to Jesus the Christ and his life, ministry, death, and resurrection are prefigured there. And as Jesus shared these things with them, well, we don't know the exact test, but we can, we can guess based on what we know about the Old Testament scriptures. We don't really see the traveler's immediate response to this catechism. But when they reach their village, there's this, this desire to have him continue with them. And so he comes in and their companion accepts their hospitality into their home. When they get to the meal, Jesus, although he's the guest, what does he do? He acts as the host, the head of household. And he must have asked them, may I do the honors? And they allow him to. And his action as he breaks the bread, he blesses it and breaks it and gives it to them. Probably reminded them of the miracles that he enacted among the multitudes. And maybe at this point they've already heard about the Last Supper and what Jesus did there. He takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to them. In this moment, they recognize who he is. Their eyes are opened. And suddenly they know it's Jesus who is present with them. And then, just as suddenly, he disappears. He's gone from their sight. Can you imagine? It tells us that within the hour, they're gone. They head back to Jerusalem. It's amazing because they put themselves at risk just as they invited Jesus in so he wouldn't be at risk out on the roads. They put themselves at risk to go back and tell the good news to the apostles. At first they didn't see who Jesus was because God prevented it. But then all of a sudden their eyes were open. The fact that this happened to the couple emphasizes the relevatory nature of Jesus' appearance. His revelation to them. In the breaking of the bread, Jesus is made known to them suddenly and simultaneously. This is a revelation, an epiphany, and they return to the apostles. And when they get there, they tell him not only was he made known to them because they saw him for who he was, but they understood it was him because of the breaking of the bread. This is a strong representation of the Lord's Supper to us. For us as the readers of Luke's gospel, the breaking of bread in worship signifies Jesus' presence to us. Finally, it's important we understand that this theme of hospitality that runs through Luke's gospel is significant to their particular story. While the traveler's invitation was to Jesus for him to come into their home and stay with him, it's a plot device that builds this dramatic tension. And the irony of it is, is that it echoes other tales of hospitality where God shows up. When God shows up to Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18 and eats with them. 
and other places where God shows up and offers a meal like he did to Elijah in the desert. But we might also remember that in Hebrews 13, we're admonished to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some have entertained messengers without knowing it. They had travelers offered hospitality to this stranger, and it makes us recognize the possibility of us offering hospitality to others. They provide the table and the bread, but Jesus is the one who offers hospitality to them by breaking it for them. This is a reminder to the early church in years to come as they also practice breaking bread. Since they met in private homes, this was their opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. Just as Jesus had done with these two travelers, the early church and now us have the opportunity to share the good news over a meal. That Jesus is here present as we break the bread and we share this meal. We're not reliant on itinerant preachers or missionaries or even our pastors. But if we know the good news, we can share it with others. We can go beyond what is expected. As we continue on in the story in verse 32, they say to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? It tells us that within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and the others who had gathered with them, who said, The Lord has really risen. He appeared to Peter. And here they are affirming that story. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus appeared to them, and they were walking along the road, and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them, saying, Peace be with you. What we long for, just as what these two long for, is more than broken bread. We long for meaning, for intimacy, for fulfillment, for community, for purpose, for healing, for joy. We long for the world to be sorted out, for our relationships to be made right. We long for more than just the breaking of bread. But what is our experience in his presence? Do you know how to come into the presence of God? How to sit at his feet as Mary did and dwell with him, to eat with him? Are our longings being met as we are with Jesus? See, we don't need to fear our pain or we don't need to fear the pain of others, but we can share our stories with one another. Even if, our healing, even if our hearts have already been healed, we can still share the pain of our past from a perspective of healing. See, many people are facing their own holocaust, their own uh, invasion force in their lives. As they have lost dreams and shattered beliefs in God and his Messiah. People are waiting to hear the good news that Jesus is risen See, our whole world is living right now in the tension between Good Friday and Easter. The things we had hoped for, the lives that we had planned for ourselves, are paused. 
And if you've practiced this the last couple of days, you understand what I'm talking about. See, the practice of Saturday between Friday and Sunday of Easter week and is to pause. To examine the things that we had hoped for. See, Jesus wants to meet us on Sunday. He wants us to bring to him the pain in our hearts by unburdening them to him and allow him to remove the grave clothes from us, from our lives, and also from the lives of others. So often, like the couple from Emmaus, on the, uh, Jesus says to us, Oh, foolish ones, because we miss what he has for us. It's more than just what we envision Jesus doing in the midst of our circumstances, of making everything right, fixing all of our issues, fixing all of our problems. No, Jesus has something better for us. He has more for us, just like he had for the Jews in ancient Palestine. But he wants to give us something lasting in exchange for our burdens. Something that will weather the storms of this life, along with its pain and disappointments. See, these two were willing to risk their lives to go and tell the good news to others. They left within the hour. I don't know how quickly you can pack for a journey, but it takes more than an hour. They were in a hurry. They wanted to get back and share that Jesus had risen. That the resurrection was true. That there's more to this life than what we've envisioned for ourselves. We have this opportunity to live in a season of authentic apostolic community. Where we carry the cross, but hope remains in us. The resurrection is at hand. We only have to receive it. We have this living hope. We can be present to others and invite the presence of Jesus into our circumstances. If we understand that he is with us. See, Jesus longs to fill us with his glorious presence and his power by his indwelling and manifest spirit. So that there is lasting, a lasting burning in our hearts. We can be like the five virgins who in Matthew 25 try to borrow oil from those that are prepared. Or we can be the five virgins that are prepared. He's inviting us to trim our wicks. You'll have to look at the, at the parable to understand that reference. But he offers to trim our wicks and give us an abundance of oil. He wants to fill our hearts so that we burn with his presence. But here's the thing, we have to be willing to let go of the grave. Take a moment right now. Be present to yourself. What is going on in your heart as you think about Easter? As you think about Jesus and the resurrection? Do you sense that burning within? Or is it being snuffed out by the burden of the grave? The burden of sin and disappointment and uncertainty. 
the burden of sickness and death. These things aren't going to just go away, but Jesus promises to lighten our burdens. He promises to give us a life within where he burns away all the things that remain. He invites us to enact his presence. He wants us to move from the grave to the table. Feel the tension between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, but keep moving towards hope. Practice hospitality. Share the stories of Jesus being present in all in life, in all of life. Jesus is here with you. He is in the scriptures. He is in your story. When others are sharing a meal with you and they ask, what is the hope that you have in this season? Well, maybe you're not doing that. But maybe you are. What is the hope as you talk to people here and there? What is the hope that you have in the midst of this hopelessness? We can say it's because we've met Jesus on the road of life and he revealed himself to us. Become unburdened, surrender that heavy heart to Jesus and let your heart burn within you. So what? The table is a place to tell the story of Jesus. We can't effectively do our work of pointing people to Jesus until we allow him to unburden us from our disappointments and sins. Our encounters with his presence will open us to his cleansing Holy Spirit. Our role is to stay present with Jesus so that he can reveal himself to us and others. So let me leave you with a few questions this morning. Maybe you've listened to the pre-service playlist. Well, there's also a post-service playlist. There might need to be a post-service playlist too. Take some time this Sunday and reflect on the resurrection. Reflect on these questions. Allow God to examine your heart. Where have you allowed yourself to become burdened by dead things? How are you doing at practicing his presence daily? Are you living in the tension of the way of the cross and the fullness of the resurrection life? Will we risk our safety and comfort to share the good news with others? He longs to break bread with you. Will you receive him? Because a meal with Jesus enacts his presence. Thank you for being with us this Resurrection Sunday. Please continue with the rest of the service. And we hope to see you next week. If you have any questions or comments, private message us or put something in the comments below. God bless you. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Today's blessing is from Ephesians 2, 4-7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us 
in Christ Jesus. Have a happy Easter.